Take your Bibles, 1 John, that's right near the end of the Bible, chapter 5. I know that most of you were here last Sunday, may have a few exceptions, folks out of town, uh, but uh, we're looking at the Bible issue. I've said this before, uh, we've been looking last week and this week at the Bible issue. I think it's the most important doctrine that we hold, because everything else that we believe we get from a Bible, you take away a Bible and we lose all the rest of our doctrines. We don't know of a virgin birth except the Bible. We don't know that uh, Jesus is coming again except for a Bible. We don't know that there is a trinity except we find that in the Word of God. The Bible, I would suggest, the most important doctrine that we hold, and uh, if this kind of reminder is good for another church, uh, it certainly ought to be good for us to remind ourselves of too. I think that when you pick a church, if you ever move from this town and go to another town or city, I think that's one of the first questions. What Bible do you preach from? And is it a conviction? Is it just a preference? Be careful that someone that says, I use a King James Bible. I use a water hose. I use a hoe. I use a wheelbarrow. But I wouldn't stake my life on it. Folks, we don't just use a King James Bible. We believe it. We believe it's the Word of God. If you don't yet believe it, we're trying to convince you of that. And so we began last week, uh, there's probably a total of nine points, and last week we got uh, just about three of them. I'd like us to start tonight, 1 John chapter 5, if you would read with me, verse 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, read that together, reading it out loud. For there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we're thankful for each one that's here. Lord, I know that many of our people have this doctrine established. But Lord, there's always somebody that kind of falls between the cracks uh, maybe their husband learned it, their wife learned it, their parents learned it, uh, their children learned it, but somehow they never got it. I pray that the Spirit of God would help each of us to get it, to see how crucial, how critical this issue is. And Lord, I really think before someone decides in what church I'll attend, this has to be settled. Before someone decides what Bible school I'll attend, Certainly, they would have to have the Bible issue figured out. Lord, before someone sent funds off to some Christian ministry, I think they'd want to make sure that they have the right Bible position. Help us tonight as we build off what we started last Sunday or uh, last Sunday night. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I trust that you're taking some notes of this. You won't remember it all. I need notes to preach it. I think you'd need notes uh, to uh, do it. Uh, my title tonight isn't too original. Last week is the Bible issue, and tonight it's the Bible issue part two. I, I wish I could be more original, but it's all one thing. And so last week we determined this. First of all, there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Long before Moses wrote, in the beginning, God, there was already a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Long before Matthew wrote there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the generation of 
It was already written in heaven. So the first thing uh, we looked at is there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Second thing I trust you've already written down is God gave his word to this earth. It's a great truth that there's a perfect Bible in heaven, but folks, we can't get to heaven yet. One day we will. We can't get there yet. So it's kind of a moot point that there's a perfect Bible in heaven. That doesn't help us yet, except for the fact that God gave his word to this earth. Uh, the Bible says, Psalm 68 and verse 11, the Lord gave the word. And I say to you, we have the word of God. Uh, the third thing that we established last week, uh, not only God gave his word to the earth, but the third thing, God promised to preserve his word on earth. Just as much as it took a miracle for God to tell men exactly what to write, and the big word is inspiration. What Moses wrote wasn't his thoughts. What Moses wrote wasn't his words. God gave Moses the exact words to write. It's called inspiration. Well, that inspired document that Moses wrote thousands of years ago, it's not around anymore. It's long gone. And so it's great that God inspired his word. But if that's where God's miracle in the word of God stopped, we don't have the original writing in Genesis. We don't have the original writing of Isaiah, the original writing of Matthew. God gave us a second promise. He said, not only will I inspire that first writing, but I will supernaturally preserve those original writings through time. In fact, it says, we won't turn to it yet, we'll get to it again, but Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, that's present tense. So when David wrote what David wrote in Psalm 12, although David didn't have the original Genesis, original, uh, David didn't have the originals, God said he preserved them, and so what David had are present tense pure words. So again, the third thing that we established, God promised to preserve his word on earth. Fourth thing, Psalm, uh, sorry, fourth thing is not every Bible today is God's preserved word. That's where we ended last week. So not every Bible today is God's preserved word. I want you to think about this. If we back time up 150 years, if someone, if some preacher stood behind a pulpit and said, the Bible says... No one would argue what Bible he was talking about. The Bible he was talking about was the King James 1611 Bible. But you know, now in 2024, when someone says, the Bible says, now they could be talking about the King James, now they could be talking about the Revised Version, now they could be talking about the New American Standard, now they could be talking about the NIV, all of those are not God's preserved word. Now, the pitch that they will tell you when you go to a bookstore, if you go to a bookstore and tell that person, you know, I just got saved and my pastor said I need to get a Bible, they will quickly shuffle you off to one of a hundred different Bible versions. And as they begin to say, this one's good, it's got a, an attractive cover, it's got beautiful paper, 
if you stop them and say, you know what, my pastor said I should get an old King James, they will take a gasp and say, you know what, that old King James is so difficult to understand. These other versions are so much easier to understand. They will tell you all we did is take the hard words and made them easier words. How many have ever heard that pitch before? That's a very easy statement to check. Because if we check what it is in a King James Bible and then check what they changed it to in the other versions, we'll see whether they just took hard words and made them easy words. We looked at Acts 8.37, only gave that one example. I'd like to give you a few more as we proceed there. Uh, we're in 1 John chapter 5. Again, 1 John chapter number 5, we know that the apostle John wrote this. Look at verse number 7. John wrote, for there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, that's Jesus Christ. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Know this very end of verse 7. And these three are one. Folks, in the Christian faith, we believe in a trinity. I just want to get some of this. Uh, we believe in a trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe in those three. And uh, do you know that the greatest verse, I, I will just set these here, uh, the greatest verse in all the Bible, if someone says, well, I'm not sure, I believe in a trinity, where in the Bible would you go to to prove that? This is the verse. Look again at 1 John 5 and verse 7. He says, for there are three. That's a trinity. For there are three that bear record in heaven. So we're talking about a trinity in heaven. Keep reading. He names it. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. You won't get a clearer verse than verse number 7 on the trinity. That's a power. It's not just there by accident. It's a powerful verse. Let's not stop there. Look at verse number 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So John says there are three witnesses in heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Those three are one. He said, when you get down to this earth, he talks about a different uh, threesome. He talks about the fact that there is the spirit and the water and the blood. But he doesn't say these three are one. It's very different. He said these three agree in what All I'm trying to say to you is 1 John 5, 7 is the greatest verse in all the scripture to prove the trinity of our Christian faith. Uh, the very first one, I'll try to do this quickly. I don't want to do it so quickly that you miss it. Uh, There's a New World Translation. That is the Bible of what group? Jehovah's Witness. And so we'll see. They struggle with the teaching of the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God as no one else can be the Son of God. Listen to 1 John chapter 5. Now look at, uh, look at the King James Bible as I read uh, verse number 7. For there are three witness bearers. That's the end of verse 7. Hold on a minute. What about the three in heaven naming the Father, the, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one? They have torn that completely out. 
And all they have in verse number seven is for there are three witness bearers. You know what that's called? That's called dishonesty. They have robbed the word of God from the greatest verse in all the scriptures. Uh, I'll give you verse eight. Now look at your verse eight. Uh, verse number eight, it continues, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three are in agreement. Hold on a minute. If you read verse 7 and verse 8, you wouldn't get any notion that those two verses are talking about a trinity in heaven and three things on earth that agree. They have taken the greatest verse. I say, well, preacher, that's a New World translation. Those rats. Those, uh, we used to say rat thinks. Maybe I shouldn't say that anymore. Uh, here's a New American Standard version, 1 John chapter 5. And so some that would say, I, I'd never go with a New World Translation. Uh, they would say, but I would consider the New American Standard came out in, let me back up, the American Standard version came out in 1901. The New American Standard version came out in 1952. It, people stopped buying the American Standard. Now they get the New American Standard. They, they just put a different name on it. They just want to sell more. They just put a different name on it. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. Now, this is really tricky. They are now dishonest in a different way. 1 John 5 and verse 7, it says, And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. Is that anywhere in verse 7? No. It, you, know where it's, it, you know where they get that from? Verse 6. Back up to your verse 6. Our King James, uh, verse number six, this is he that came by water and the blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is, you know what they did? Those scoundrels, now I have to keep, have to keep clean with these adjectives. They took the last part of verse six, slid that over, and they made that their verse seven. That's not verse seven, that's verse six. But, you know, no one would know that if this is all they read. And so they took verse 6, made that verse 7. Okay, pastor, then what's their verse 8? Look at your verse 8. This is what they say verse 8 is. For there are three that bear witness, the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So that sounds like verse 8. Do you understand they have taken out the greatest verse on the Trinity? Uh, I, I give you another one. This is probably the biggie in this day and age, the New International Version uh, again, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. I'm just trying to... Here's what it says. For there are three that testify. I've given you all of verse 7. Pastor, where is the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three? It's gone. This new uh, international version is actually closer to a New World translation. They died to admit it. Well, let's read verse number 8. Uh, it says in verse 8, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Folks, that's wicked. Why would somebody take out the strongest verse in a trinity? You're intelligent people. There is nothing in your verse 7 that you have a hard time with. If indeed they're only changing hard words and make them easier words, they wouldn't have had to touch verse 7 at all. So why did they? Somebody has a problem with the Trinity. And so that's that one. Let me give you another example quickly. Look there, if you would, in uh, Colossians 1, verse 14. 
Again, Colossians 1, verse 14. A little earlier in your Bible. And so, again, I, I, I could just give you the reference, and you, some might never check it. Colossians 1, 14. Uh, look there, in Colossians 1, 14, Paul writes, In whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Do you know the word forgiveness is different than the word redemption? In the Old Testament, God offered forgiveness, but they could not get redemption that was eternal. They couldn't get that. In the Old Testament, they could get forgiveness for their sins, but it required Jesus Christ to come to this earth, to be nailed to the cross, to shed his blood, and so that's why in a King James Bible, Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood. That's the only way we can get redemption. Through his blood is critical to you and I finding redemption in Jesus Christ. Uh, I give you here Colossians 1.14. Again, New World Translation, JW Bible. And it writes here, by means of whom we have are released by ransom the forgiveness of our sins. Redemption has been stolen from that verse. And through his blood is gone. They have a problem with redemption. They have a problem with uh, through his blood. I, I give you over here in NIV, again, Colossians 1.14. I've got so many little sticky notes. Colossians 1.14. Uh, it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Those are not the same. They've taken out through his blood. Let me give you the next one real quick. I'm trying to hurry. Matthew 1, verse 25. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25. Uh, why do you give these, Pastor? Because if someone ever hands you a Bible and the front and the back cover have been torn off, so you don't know what kind of Bible it is, you have some check verses that you can just about check any verse even if you don't have the cover on. And so if they've taken out Acts 8.37, if they have removed through his blood in Colossians 1.14, if they have chopped out half of verse 7, 1 John 5.7, and half of verse 8, self-aversion, it's not the true word of God. You're there in Matthew 1. Question. We know that uh, Mary gave birth to who? Jesus Christ. Question. The Roman Catholics teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin, meaning that she never, ever had relations with any man. We know better than that. We know that Mary gave birth to other children. In fact, keep your hand in Matthew. Look quickly at the very next book. Look there at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, it names us some other children that Mary had after she gave birth to Jesus. Mark 6 and verse 3. Is this what the people said about Jesus? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Hosea and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Do you know that after Mary gave birth to Jesus, Mary gave birth to at least four more sons? at least two more daughters, because it has sisters. We don't have any struggle with that. But the Roman Catholics have a tremendous problem. So having said that, back to Matthew 1.25. Matthew chapter 1, start in verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, 
did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Do you know that word firstborn, just a single word? But it's a reminder that Jesus uh, was not the only son of Mary. Mary had other children. Firstborn, just a single word, but it's a powerful word to remind us that Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25, this is again in the JW New World Translation. It says, uh, but he, Joseph, had no intercourse with her until she gave birth to a son. Where's firstborn? Somebody has a problem with the fact that Mary had other children. Again, I'll, I'll jump here to the uh, NIV. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25 it said, but he, Joseph, had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. They've taken firstborn out. You and I have no problem understanding the word firstborn. We understand that. If someone is the firstborn, the indication is there's others to follow. Why would they take that out? So many of these doctrines that have been tampered with, the Roman Catholic Church struggles with them. And that's why the Roman Catholic Church has had their hands in so many of the changes. If you're taking notes, we won't look at any other references, but uh, right, uh, these reference, you can check them in your own time. Matthew 17, verse 21, whole verse is gone. That's Matthew 17, 21. Matthew 18, 11, whole verse is gone. Mark chapter 9, verse 44 and verse 46, whole verse is gone. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 4 and 8, they've changed it. John chapter 6, verse 47, they've changed it. Uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 9 gives a whole list of the Old Testament laws. And uh, do you know the one law that they took out of Romans 13, verse 9? Anyone know what's taken out of that one? Not bear false witness. You know, not bear, that's a fancy word of saying not lie. Isn't that interesting that the Bible version translators would want to take out, thou shalt not lie. Folks, they're, they're messing with truth. In fact, we began there, uh, look there in 2 Corinthians 6, then I'll get to the next point. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, that doesn't sound right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and so all of this, we know that Paul said in his day there were already those that were corrupting the Word of God. So there are already in Paul's day, that's not even 30 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 2.17. Paul says, for we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. So Paul knew already in that first century A.D., Jesus had just ascended, not even 30 years earlier, and there were already people when they came to the Word of God that they changed this, and they changed this, and they changed this. And that's why he said, we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. Do you know what they changed that to? Look there again in verse 17. For we are not as many which peddle the word of God. Not talking about pedaling a bicycle. What does the word pedal mean? Sell. 
So they said, we can't believe it. We're not as many which corrupt the word of God because that's what we're doing. We're going to change it for we are not as many which peddle. That's sell. That's what they're doing too. Truth is, there's not a crime in selling the word of God. If it's cost you $2 to print that and you charge someone $2 to buy that, there's not a crime in that. The change made what they are doing as a crime. I say the fourth thing that we have noticed is not every Bible today is God's preserved word. Let me give you the next thing if I could. Uh, if you look over there to, I'm trying to keep my notes straight if I can. Uh, look over there again. You're in 2 Corinthians 2.17. We'll start there. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. The Bible says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Uh, would you write this down? There are two lines of Bible manuscripts. So this is the fifth point. There are two lines of Bible manuscripts. Uh, the great question is, Pastor, how could all of these be wrong. Uh, preacher, you are saying, and this is, I think, one of my old Sunday school Bibles many, many years ago. Pastor, you are suggesting that this is the only Bible that's right, King James Bible, and all the rest of these have been corrupted, tampered, messed with. Pastor, isn't that kind of like preaching that's not really? No. But, preacher, how could so many come out almost the same and yet they all be wrong. And the answer is, when God promised to inspire his word, that's the original writings, and then God said, I will superintend the perfect copy and copy and copy and copy, there was a true line of Bible manuscripts that were true, accurate, perfect copies of what was originally written. So there is a true manuscript line. But hold on a minute. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul said, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. So somewhere in this process, somebody didn't like what was in the word of God, so they changed it. We've already looked. They changed Acts 8, 37. They changed 1 John 5, 7, and 8. They changed Colossians 1, 14. They changed Mark 9, verse 44, 46. They changed, well, so now you have another line of manuscripts. But this other line of manuscripts aren't the true ones. These other line of manuscripts are the corrupted ones. So if you use for the source to write a version, you can either take it from a true line of manuscripts or you can take it from a corrupted line of manuscripts. All I'm trying to say is there are two lines of Bible manuscripts. I'm, I'm going to get a little particular here for just a moment, but I think that this will help you. Uh, if you're taking notes, th this is a package of paper, 500 pieces of paper. Right now, in this world, there are 5,300, um, they call them extant, that means existing. There are 5,300 existing Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. 
That doesn't mean there are 5,300 full copies of the New Testament. It doesn't say that. That means that uh, they have one manuscript that might be 1 John and was copied, and it might be 1 John from 400 AD. Uh, they might have two copies of 2 Peter, chapter 2, and one might be from 700 AD, one might be from 900 AD. I'm just giving you examples. So if you were to put a Bible together, and I don't think we need to, we got a perfect one, but if you were to put a Bible together, you have 5,300 Greek manuscript portions of the New Testament. 95 to 97% of them are virtually in complete agreement. That's why all of these look the same. They all agree with each other. Now, again, they're not all full portions, but you say, preacher, why a package of paper? Well, I could have brought 5,300 pieces of paper up, and I would have just caused back trouble. That's all I would have. So if every one of these pieces of paper represented 10 manuscripts, then what you have here is a little over 5,000 manuscripts. Remember, I told you there was a total of 5,300 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament portions, portions. And so, folks, our King James Bible takes for their text all of that. There are some words for this. Remember, if there's 5,300 and we have about 5,040 that all agree with each other. This is called the majority text, because 5,040 is the majority portion of 5,300. How many understand that so far? The King James Bible comes from the majority of existing Greek manuscripts. And so that's that Bible. When the King James translator set up, they took the majority text, the majority manuscripts, because they were in agreement with each other. Well, if that was the majority, incidentally, that's called the majority text. It's sometimes called the Byzantine text. These are fancy words. Sometimes it's called the Antiochian text because all these made their way through Antioch of Syria. Antioch was that place when Saul, still lost, was persecuting Christians. And the Bible says that many of those believers went as far as Antioch. So when they went to Antioch, Antioch became uh, the church where the gospel was sent out. We know in Acts 13, it was the church at Antioch that sent out Barnabas and Saul in the first missionary journey. It was in Acts chapter 15, that same church Antioch sent out Paul and Silas. It was that same church in Antioch sent out Paul and Silas again on the third trip. Antioch always has a great reputation in the Bible. Antioch was a place of souls got saved. Antioch was a place that just was involved in Bible distribution talks about the word of the Lord was sent out of Antioch. That's Antioch. Well, that obviously doesn't represent all 5,300. Preacher, if you're going to take 5,300 and remove uh, 97%, we don't have much left. Well, actually, what you have, <laughs> what you have left is this. 
and I'm, I'm purpose, I, if you never forget this illustration, it'll help you. Do you understand those are all white because they all agree? That's why it's called the majority text. You say, well, if there's 5,300 existing Greek portions of the New Testament, and the majority of them agree with each other, what about the rest of them? Well, this is the rest of them. Remember, all, each one of these sheets represents 10. But there are different colors because they can't agree with each other. This one doesn't agree with this one. This one doesn't agree with this one. Those all agreed. That's why the King James came from the majority text. They all came from Antioch. Antioch was the source of all of those. All we have here, if that was called the majority text, then this would make, naturally, it would be called the minority text. They called that the Antiochian text because it came out of Antioch. Do you know where all these came out of? Alexandria, Egypt. So sometimes it's called the Alexandrian text. Sometimes it's called the minority text. Sometimes it's called the Egyptian text. Well, folks, if you aren't being paid under the table to make a decision, you'd say it would make sense to pick 97% of all the Greek existing manuscripts. That's what I'm going to put together for a New Testament. That would make perfect sense. It wouldn't make any sense to say, you know what, I'm just going to pick from the 3% that don't even agree with each other. What I'm saying to you is there are two lines of Bible manuscripts. Anyone with good sense would say, well, they can't even agree with each other. <laughs> why, why? That's got to be the product of people down through history that changed that verse and that verse and that verse and that verse, but they didn't all change the same verses. And if that's not bad enough, all of the Bible verses, so here's what I'm saying. Uh, I, I'm saying that the King James Bible came from the majority text. The majority of still existing Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, different portions of it. The only thing else you've got, if you reject that, then you have to go with the minority text. You have to go with the Alexandrian Egypt text. Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world. Wrong place to get your Bible. Alexandria was known for, they had a university in Alexandria. The number one teacher at that university, was his name was Origen. Uh, you say, oh, preacher, why would that matter? Origen didn't believe the Bible. And in fact, I, I, I've got just a list of things that might help you to understand. That man, Origen, he denied that the Genesis account of Adam and Eve were true. He believed that souls existed from eternity past. He believed that there would be a universal salvation, in fact, that the wicked would all eventually be saved. He denied a physical resurrection. He believed that devils would be saved. And that man, Origen, uh, he took upon himself, and I don't want to get so uh, detailed, but he took upon himself to make a six-column copy of the New Testament. And this column took these as the sources. This column took these as the sources. All their sources are here. The fifth column, the fifth column, he said this. He said, you know what? 
I'm going to write two copies, and I put on the bottom of this list for a reason. One of them, of those 50 copies, one of them uh, we know now as the Vaticanus manuscript. It's called that because it was found in the Vatican. The Vatican belongs to the Pope. It was found, uh, it was found in, uh, let me see if I can get the date. I don't want to mess the date up. The uh, Vaticanus was found, uh, they claim it was written in 350 AD, that's a question, but uh, it was found on the shelf in the Vatican in 1481. The other one is called Sinaiticus because it was found at the Saint, uh, let me get it here again, it was found at the Saint Catherine's Monastery at the base of Mount Sinai. Listen, the, the Vaticanus had been forgotten for 1400 years. One reason it existed is people weren't reading it. The monks had it on a shelf. If that's not bad enough, the Sinaiticus, the other one, the Sinaiticus also, they claim, written about 350 A.D. That wasn't found until uh, the day that was found was in 1844. But even these two can't agree with each other. These two, but here's why they would make such a big deal about these two. They're the oldest manuscripts. So you know what you'll find every time you open one of these new versions? In the preface, they will say this. We are depending on the oldest manuscripts. Do you know that that one wasn't the hands of the King James translator? It was only found in 1844. Incidentally, that was found in a garbage can at the monastery. It was in the garbage can because they were going to throw it out. Even the monks there decided, forget this one. So this, because it was only found in 1844, wasn't available when the King James translators in 1611 put the Bible together. But this one was. And you know those King James translators, they looked at that and said, that's not the Word of God. We're not going to count on that. And they set that aside. Now, why do you need to know that? Because all these new versions say this. Since the King James was put together 1604 to 1611, we have found newer manuscripts. And those newer manuscripts have so opened our eyes to what the Word of God should really be. They claim that these are older than anything that the King James had. The truth is they might be older. Uh, let me give you some very humorous details. Uh, in the Vaticanus, everything from Genesis 1 to Genesis 46 is missing. Everything in Psalms 106 to 139 was missing. All of 1 Timothy gone. All of 2 Timothy gone. All of Titus gone. All the book of Revelation is gone. Book of Hebrews from chapter 9, verse 14 to the end, all of that is gone. Our Lord sweating in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of that is gone. Lord's prayer for his adversaries, Father, forgive them for they know what they, not what they do. All of that is gone. Mark chapter 16, verse 9 to 20, all of that is gone. The story of the woman taken in adultery, John 7, verse 53 to 8, verse 11, all of that is gone. Second Kings 2, all of that, it, it's all gone. And yet they say it's the oldest manuscript. 
You know, it could be, it could be that these two are as old as they claim. How did they survive through 1,600 years of time? Because the Spirit of God said, just like he said to the King James translators, don't even give that a second thought. That is not the Word of God. So again, in all the preface of these, all of these come from the minority text. This thing comes from the majority text. Folks, when we say we believe the King James Bible is the perfect word of God, we're not talking through our hat. You can wade so deep into this thing, you're going to shake your head and say, why would anybody take one of those First of all, so few in number, as far as manuscripts at back end, they don't even agree with each other. Uh, someone compared the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, and what they found when they compared those two is uh, they are in... Uh, bear with me, humor me. 3,000 places in the Gospels alone they can't agree with each other. 3,000 thousand places. Uh, in uh, the New Testament, uh, it, it said that, uh, I'm trying to find my note here again, um, can't find it. Oh, here we go. It's, it said that uh, there are 7,000 places that these don't agree. And yet every one of these versions say, we have found newer manuscripts that's right, we have found older manuscripts, and we're going to toss all of that out and use this instead. i give, give you one more thing tonight. I said that all of the new Bible versions readily admit that they built on the most ancient of manuscripts. We already question them. They can't even agree with each other. There, and the King James comes from that. There is one exception to that claim. And uh, I think if we cover that tonight, we'll be good for tonight. This is what's called a New King James. How many have heard of New King James Bible before? The New King James claims this. We have decided that the King James comes from the reliable manuscripts. All that we're trying to do is update it. And so that's what a New King James claims. The problem is that's not all that they did. In fact, uh, there are so many times where they skipped over to the other set of manuscripts to make changes. Look there, if you would, Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. Again, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Well, Pastor, they just came out with a new Bible, and it's built upon manuscripts that are older than anything that the King James men had. You might find that they're not honest. Many of the manuscripts that they're claiming, King James men, they had access to it. They set it aside because it was unreliable. I look there in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Jesus said this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. 
You know what, the Lord said that, uh, you know, the, the majority of people will not get to heaven, the majority of people will miss heaven, and they'll go to hell. That's pretty, pretty simple what he said. But look again in verse 14. He said, but straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I'm reading from a New King James, Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Difficult. Folks, it's not difficult to get saved. It's not difficult to get to heaven. You just have to come as a sinner needing a savior. That was a crime, changing that word to difficult. Again, the King James says all that we have done is we're just updating. Uh, listen, let me give you some examples. Uh, first of all, they take the word Lord out 66 times. They take the word God out 51 times. They take the word Jehovah completely out. You won't find Jehovah in the Bible, in this Bible. Uh, they take the word blood out 23 times. They take the word soul out 137 times. Uh, the word damnation has been completely removed from a New King James. Uh, they take the word hell out 22 times. Take the word heaven out 50 times. Take the word repent out 44 times. Uh, they take the word New Testament completely out. Remember they said we're just taking hard words to easy words. Well, in Genesis 35 verse 4 it says oak. Here it says taber, uh, terebinth tree, whatever that is. Uh, there in Judges 8.13, the sun was up. Here it says the ascent of Herez. What does that mean? Uh, there in 1 Samuel 22.6, tamarish tree. Sorry, there it says tree. Here it says tamarish tree. There in Lamentations 5 verse 3, fatherless. Here they change it to waifs. What is a waif? Uh, there they have princes. Daniel 6, 2, here they change it to satraps. There in Matthew 2, they have a penny. Here they change it to a denarius. There in Acts 18, 12, they have deputy. Here they change it to proconsul. In Acts 21, 20, there they have thousands. We understand thousands. They have thousands. Here they change it to myriads. There in Titus 1, 6, they have riot. Here they have dissipation. There was a dissipation down at the prison. Really? Did anyone contract it? Like, did it spread fast? There they had unruly. Here they had insubordination. Almost done. The biggest argument that all of these new translations have is with these and thou. So how many have heard that before? Pastor Carlson, I would read an old-fashioned King James Bible, but I just don't understand all of these and thou's. And they have these and thou's and thine's and you and your and, and Pastor, all of the new versions change all of that, thee and thou and thine. They all change it to you. Why owe you? That doesn't make it any easier. You have just lost a gem that's in the King James Bible. 
Do you know when we say, I'm going to bring you a coffee, I'm not, I'm just making it up. If I say, I'm going to bring you a coffee, you don't know if I'm bringing one person a coffee, because you could be one. You don't know if that word you, I'm referring to a whole row of people, you don't know if I'm going to say, I'm bringing you, you don't know what you is. Do you know when the King James Bible was printed, the English was at the apex of its strength. So in the English uh, there at 1611, the word thee and thy and thine always referred to one person. Thee, thy, thine, always one person. The word you and ye and your always referred to two or more. By changing all of those and taking out the these, I, thine, and changing it all to you, you have now lost one of that little gems in a King James Bible. Pastor, I don't see how that matters. Well, let's look over there in Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis 3, let me give you a few examples. Genesis chapter 3. So the next time that somebody says, I just have a problem with the these and the thines, uh, ask them. What's the difference between thee, thine, and, and you? Incidentally, to remember that, thee, thine, the, the, that starts with a T. The word you, which means two or more people, that starts with a Y. T is always before Y. T is one. Y is two or more. Let's see if it matters. Look there in Genesis 3, verse 11. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 11. Uh, we read this, Adam and Eve now sinned, and the Lord comes to Adam, and he, that's God, said, Who told thee, Adam, that thou, Adam, was naked? Hast thou, Adam, eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, Adam, that thou shouldest not eat? There, there's still a discussion today in some Bible circles. Did God give the commandment just to Adam not to eat of the forbidden tree? Or did God give that command to Adam and Eve? God gave it to Adam because it's a thee. Uh, I give you another example. Look over there in Genesis chapter 43. Genesis 43. Now again, you might say, well, those are just little things. These are one of many things why we don't change the King James Bible. Genesis chapter 43 and verse 29. Genesis 43 and verse number 29. And he... That's Joseph, lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your, talking all ten of those brothers, younger brother of whom ye, all those ten brothers, spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee. That's one, Benjamin, my son. I'll give you another example. Look over there in Leviticus chapter 10. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Folks, we don't need to change the these and those. In fact, you don't want to change that. You rob yourself of a truth that's in King James Bible, Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, look there in verse number 9. Leviticus 10 and verse 9, and so God is giving commandment here to Aaron, the priest, high priest. Again, Leviticus 10 verse 9. Do not drink wine nor strong drink thou, that's one, that's Aaron, nor thy, that's Aaron, one person, thy sons with thee, when ye, now he's talking to all those priests, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye, all of you, die, 
it shall be a statute forever throughout your, that's all of you. Folks, you say, well, I, I just understand you more, but God has given you more information with the thee and the thy and the thine than just changing all of it to you and to your. Uh, we won't turn to it, but John 3, 7. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto thee. He is speaking specifically that night to Nicodemus. Now, what does Jesus say? Ye must be born again. So he is speaking specifically to Nicodemus. But now he is making a blanket worldwide statement. Ye must be born again. You don't want to take out the these and the thys. You don't want to do that. Uh, look there in Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 9. Again, Acts chapter 5 and verse 9. Pastor, I just don't understand the these. That is the sales pitch that all of these Bibles will give you. Just because a salesman says it doesn't mean it's right. And I used to be a salesman. You need to check it. Are the yous the same as the thee? The, they're not. Look there again, Acts chapter 5 and verse number 9. We know that Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some land. They brought a part of that, but said it was everything. And so Peter faces up Ananias, verse 3, and Ananias drops dead because he lied. Well, just a few hours later, Sapphira comes. Uh, look there in verse 7, Acts 5, verse 7. And it was about the space of three hours that when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye, he is talking about she and her husband, sold the land for so much, and she said, Yea, for so much, verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye, you and your husband, have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband, talking to her, thy husband, are at the door, and they shall carry thee, Sapphira, out. If you know the difference, then you know exactly what's going on. Say, well, preacher, why do they say that? Well, I've already said they have to make sufficient changes so they can copyright it and sell it. Listen, the publishers have come to this conclusion. We can print and copy a King James and sell it. We can make some money. But if we make enough changes in that King James and put a new name on it, then we can copyright it and sell it for so much more money. Folks, a lot of the changes are a dollar and cent decision. Some of the changes is they do not agree. And so this notion, well, Pastor, I wouldn't touch any of those. But I don't see any problem with the New King James because, after all, the New King James came from the same set of reliable manuscripts. That's a sales pitch, folks. Because time after time after time, when you look at their changes, they're the exact same changes that all those were. You know why they said New King James? Because they know that so many are loyal to the King James Bible. They, they might not be able to give all the answers. But their allegiance is to the old-fashioned King James. So when someone steals the name King James and just puts the word new, boy, there's a lot of people that have gills. I 
and just believe it because someone said it. They said, well, that's got to be it. I wouldn't touch that, but I'd sure touch that. You don't want to touch this. You want to stick to the old King James. I've only got one more night left. We're going to deal the next night with preacher. What about the different revisions of the King James? If you haven't heard it yet, you that hold in your hand the 1611 King James Bible, it's not identical to what was printed in 1611. They did some updates. But the updates that they did are spelling, punctuation, when the printer went, took it to the printing. Back in those days, they had to put every letter on that block of the printer. Sometimes they missed a letter. Sometimes they got letters back. Sometimes they missed a whole word. Uh, you would be familiar with the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We understand that. Do you know what the printer in 1611, you know what mistake he made? He forgot the word not. <laughs> what a horrible word to forget. And when he was all done and printed it and, and promoted it, it said, thou shalt commit adultery. And so he got a fine. He got a fine for that mistake. But when, when someone comes to you and says, well, you know what? You probably think what you have is a 1611, but it's not. It's been changed. They will say it's been revised. Revised isn't the right word. It's another addition. And all they did was they upgrade the spelling mistakes and the punctuation mistakes. But what they do is they say, because this has been, they'll use revised. We say it's addition. They'll say, because this has been changed since it first came out, that gives us a license to make more changes today. The changes they were made were just in spelling and punctuation, and they were standardizing the way that things were said. That kind of change is not the same as that kind of change. Again, you know, what's, you know what all this has created? Everyone has become their own Greek scholar. And so instead of accepting that God promised to preserve his word, what you've got is everybody saying, well, you know, that, I don't think that word was very good. I think this word would... Who told you that? Well, you know, I got a hold of a Greek lexicon, and so you have become your own God. Folks, that's a dangerous place to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Again, Lord, we will have an invitation. Maybe someone here, they, they, they just believe what someone told them, that all the Bibles are the same. Lord, it's not true. Our King James Bible that we stand upon, it traces itself back to Antioch, the great center of gospel preaching and distribution of the Word of God. And Lord, uh, Antioch proved itself as being a place loyal to God and the Word of God. And Lord, we stand with the old King James because it came from the Antiochian line of manuscripts. Lord, all those others, they took liberty to change this, change that, change the other. Lord, the best proof of which is the right one is the King James Bible has had 400 years of the hand of God upon it. 
And the great revivals of the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s, it was a preaching of the old-fashioned King James Bible. Would you help us to not throw aside God's perfectly preserved word for something that we're told is better?